You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What up, world? Welcome on and all to another episode of The Ocho, presented to you in partnership, as always, with SB Nation's blog and theboys.com. My name is RJ Ochoa. You know me, of course, from BTB and from right here as your humble host on The Ocho. This is our episode, our second episode for a Thursday, the third day, August 13th, 2020. We hope all is well wherever you are. We hope you're happy, safe, healthy, and that you are just as excited as we are. That's right. It is our second episode for Thursday because we had to have an emergency episode, baby. It had been a while since we had to fire up the sirens, slide down the pole, jump in the special gear and outfits, and get up in the podcast studio because the Dallas Cowboys, on Wednesday night, word was reported that they are signing defensive end Everson Griffin. Uh, Oh yeah, that's right. The thing you wanted the Dallas Cowboys to do, they did it. What world are we living in? I mean, seriously, what, what, what universe do we live in now here in 2020? I mean, that question is um, is a difficult one to answer for a lot of reasons, but let's look at what the Dallas Cowboys have done since the calendar turned to 2020. They moved on from Jason Garrett. Wish him well. They hired Mike McCarthy. You didn't even really interview anybody. What are you doing there with Mike McCarthy and everything, Cowboys? Then everything changed. They hired a staff that we love. It includes Joe Philbin, Jim Tom Sula, John Fossil. Mike Nolan. I mean, all sorts of people that we are all enthused about. Most importantly, the, the Cowboys kept Kellen Moore on as offensive coordinator, which people were very, very, very excited about. Then comes free agency. They're able to re-sign Amari Cooper. Okay, that's cool, but what else are you going to do? Where else are you going to get some people? Gerald McCoy. Bam. Ha-ha Clinton Dix. Bam. Don Terry Poe. Bam. Alden Smith. Whoa. Okay, bam. All right. Lots of things happening for the Dallas Cowboys. And then comes the NFL draft. What are you going to do? Caleb on chase on... No, CeeDee Lamb, bam, Trayvon Diggs, bam, Neville Gallimore, bam, Reggie Robinson, bam, Tyler Biotish, bam. The Cowboys just kept doing thing after thing after thing after thing this offseason that we all approved of. The only thing to date that the Dallas Cowboys did not hit a home run on this offseason was extending quarterback Dak Prescott, but that fight they can fight another day. But I want to get to the point at hand because it belongs in the BAM category. The Dallas Cowboys bringing in Everson Griffin. All right, people have been saying for months that the Cowboys need to go out. They need to get Jadeveon Clowney, who, by the way, it was reported the Cowboys were near the top of his list along with the New Orleans Saints or Everson Griffin. I want to give a big shout out to our friend, friend of the show, John Owning from the Dallas Morning News. He's been banging the Everson Griffin drum for a long time. All right, and on Wednesday, it finally happened. It finally came to fruition. The Dallas Cowboys went and got a talented pass rusher to play on the opposite side of Demarcus Lawrence. It really happened. They're no longer just going to rest on their laurels and hope that it works out for them. All right. I want to read you a tweet from Evan Kaplan, the great Evan Kaplan, great ESPN researcher on Twitter at Epcap, by the way. 
Everson Griffin lined up as a right defensive end for 91% of snaps in the last two seasons, had all 13 and a half sacks from that spot. Demarcus Lawrence lined up as a left defensive end for 91% of snaps in the last two seasons, had all 15 and a half sacks from that spot. That is 29 sacks over the last two seasons from those defensive ends that line up at those two spots. Those defensive ends now play for the Dallas Cowboys. That really happened. The Dallas Cowboys really said, we need a right defensive end opposite of Demarcus Lawrence. What are we going to do? Are we just going to cross our fingers and hope for Tyrone Crawford and Alden Smith? Those things might happen, but let's not waste time, baby. We got some extra salary cap flexibility. Let's go get an Everson Griffin and go get an Everson Griffin. They did. The deal, as reported by Kimberly Martin of ESPN, is a one-year deal worth $6 million, $3 million in base salary, $3 million in roster bonuses. Just chef's kiss, Cowboys, all right? And here's the thing, all right? I believe that at one point in time, somebody sat Stephen Jones down and explained the way compensatory picks work to him and explained the comp formula and explained that if you add free agents at this time, it, it impacts the comp formula. If you do it this time, you wait, it doesn't, etc. The Cowboys kind of look like geniuses. And I, I would not say that lightly. All right, because the Cowboys let Robert Quinn go in free agency to the NFC North, where they just plucked Everson Griffin from, and they are very likely going to get a third or a fourth round compensatory pick for him next offseason. They're probably going to get another one for Byron Jones, whose name will come up later, by the way, uh, with our special guest. Um, and the Cowboys, meanwhile, are going and getting all these players that can kind of give them that production on these one-year deals without factoring them into the compensatory formula, like Everson Griffin. And, oh, yeah, if Everson Griffin balls out for the Cowboys, gets a big-time deal from whoever next year, then guess what? The compensatory train keeps on going. And the Cowboys might get a compensatory pick for Everson Griffin in 2022. I know that's forecasting. That's looking way down the road. That's maybe a possibility. Who knows? But the, the reality is that it is a possibility because the Cowboys are playing this thing very very, very smart, and kudos to them. Look, I want to get into who Everson Griffin is as a football player, and to do that, we need to bring in the best. It's time to bring on our special guest. He covers the Minnesota Vikings for The Athletic, one of the wisest people on the Minnesota Vikings beat. Arif Hassan joins us next. His Twitter handle, if you want to follow him, you should, is at Arif Hassan NFL. Again, the best in the business when it comes to the Minnesota Vikings. Arif Hassan joins us next, right here on The Ocho. Pleased to be joined now by a very special guest, the world-renowned, internationally famous, famous across multiple galaxies, the one and only you know him from The Athletic, covering the Minnesota Vikings, Arif Hassan. Arif, how goes it, my dude? Uh, it's going pretty well. You might, got, you might have gotten the wrong Arif Hassan. I don't know how famous I am, man. How many are there, to your knowledge? Uh, uh, not many, but if you Google my name, uh, I'm not likely to be the, the one that comes up. So who knows? Interesting. I don't know a lot of RJ Ochoa's, but um, when I was in high school, there was a girl named RJ, which made for, um, you know, like the the least clever people I've ever known in my life. Uh, right. Yeah. Have some, yeah. Some jokes and stuff. Normal high school um, stuff. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we're recording very late on Wednesday night, and you are a trooper for jumping on um, because clearly we have to talk about tonight's episode of Big Brother uh, and the, the, the veto <laughs> ceremony and everything. Uh, but uh, if you want to, I'm game. I'm a big Big Brother fan. But um, no, in all seriousness, it was reported late Wednesday evening that the Dallas Cowboys are signing 
defensive end Everson Griffin, who has spent all of his career to this point with the Minnesota Vikings, the team you cover better than anybody else. Um, give us the one one. I was going to say one one one, but that's wrong. The four one one, the one oh one, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I thought Everson had a really great year last year. Uh, you know, he um, he finished. I, I want to say around top ten in pressures and around top twelve or so in. Uh, in total run stops. And that, that's if you take, uh, you know, the PFF stats, which, you know, um, mm-hmm. some people can take or leave. But you take a look at multiple charting groups. You take a look at NextGen. You take a look at Sports Info Solutions. They all do their own charting. And Everson that, uh, tends to end up near the top uh, in, terms of, in terms of total pressure. So I thought he had a pretty good year. Um, obviously, because of the Vikings cap situation, they couldn't keep him at, uh, at that cap number. And so uh, he activated a void in his contract, which uh, wasn't there until they had actually restructured him the year prior uh, to um, to save additional cast space. I mean, the, the Kirk Cousins thing kind of just adds up, right? Um, which is ironic but, given the Dak Prescott situation. Now. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, it'd be because of that, uh, you know, Griffin activated the uh, the void in his contract with, you know, some assurance that the Vikings would try to get him back. And uh, basically, immediately they offered him a contract. I guess he didn't really like it. And a couple of other teams were interested, notably the Seahawks. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that for the most part, you know, he plays the run really well. He plays, uh, you know, pass rush really well. He's a really savvy player in terms of, you know, his ability to kind of string together uh, a bunch of different pass rush moves. He's got a really large arsenal in terms of what he'll be able to do uh, in, in terms of that pass rush, which, you know, I think that that fits what, you know, Demarcus Lawrence does really well, of course. Uh, and so uh, he knows how to kind of play the whole game. Like he used to be a pass rush specialist. And when he signed, uh, I think at the time it was a $9 million a year contract. It was huge at the time uh, to become a starter for the Vikings, replace Jared Allen. The biggest question was whether or not he can turn from a designated pass rusher into a full-time edge rusher, which doesn't just mean, you know, the ability to defend the run, which was a, was a pleasant surprise, I think, for a lot of people, but also whether or not he can kind of play that long game to set up offensive tackles, to kind of learn what they do well, learn what they don't do well, and take advantage of key moments uh, in order to generate that sack, which is something that Jared Allen was always very good at. Um, you know, in his in his 22 uh, sack season, Allen was, I think, I think he was like eighth in pressure rate, which I think surprises a lot of people, but it was because he, he picked and chose his spots for, for when he wanted to create a sack. And I think Everson Griffin picked that up. So really savvy player, really technically sound player, uh, still with a fair amount of athleticism, a lot of burst, uh, and, and still a, a fair amount of strength. He has the ability to kind of set the edge. Well, the only issue... Um, aside from off-field stuff, which you know I'm sure we'll discuss, uh, is that he fell off really dramatically at the back end of the season. Um, first 12 weeks, he was like fifth or third. I just tweeted that, I should remember. But he's like fifth or third in pressures per game. Uh, and then, oh, yeah, someone just retweeted it. Fifth in pressures per game. Then weeks 13 <laughs> to 17, uh, he was 60th in pressures per game. And uh, in weeks 1 to 12, he was like 12th in run stops. In weeks 13 to 17, he didn't get any run stops at all, so he was tied for dead last. So uh, huge issue. He did have a really great wild card game against the Saints. Not everyone gets to go up against Andrus Pete, so I think that was part of it. But uh, a big part of it was also that uh, Zimmer moved him inside uh, in order to account for some injuries that they had on the inside, as well as you know some other issues that they had um, in coverage. And so they wanted to get some pressure in Drew Pete's passing lanes, and that produced a ton of. Uh, interior pressure. So he had a pretty good wild card game. So it's not as if he fell completely off the map, but this, the second half of the season or really more accurately, the final quarter of the season was, was just really a completely different player. And he, and he just 
didn't have the the juice to to play as well. So that's I think the biggest concern. No, and I think that that makes sense. And I saw that tweet, and um, I'm I'm so happy that we're in real time here, like where it's getting retweeted and stuff. Um, I hope you get like a sarcastic quote tweet um, while we're here. But um, <laughs> it, looking at that particular timeline, uh, so week 12 was the Vikings bye week last year, and ironically, week 13 was on the road in Seattle. And so, as you know, Minnesota enters the bye what eight and three, and then goes two and three down the stretch. So. I, I'm not – I mean, I guess I'm just trying to understand what would you ascribe the the Everson Griffin drop-off to? Would, would you would you say there was kind of a systemic drop-off, the Vikings? Because, I mean, everybody that watched football last year knows the Vikings were, um, I, I think, a hot team early on. They swept the NFC East and everything. They beat the Cowboys. That's kind of the most painful Cowboys game from last year that is the reason Jason Garrett's gone. But um, do you think there's anything to that, or do you think it's more individually on Everson himself? I think it's more Everson himself. I mean, for example, week 17, and this is why I use pressures per game, not total pressures. Everson didn't play because none of the starters played. Uh, It was, you know, it's one of those week 17 games they played against Chicago. Uh, And so that loss, it was more of a uh, 2-2 finish to the season than a 2-3. And they almost actually beat Chicago using their backups, which I think is kind of funny. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, which, you know, next year Bears fans are going to use that and say Mitch Trubisky's beaten the Vikings like four times. Oh, totally. Totally. Like, well, I mean, like two of those games don't even count because it was like Chase Daniel and and Vikings backups. But yeah, it doesn't really matter, right? Um, The, uh, the, the four games that Everson played, he actually, it should have been an ideal situation because uh, you take a look at who they're playing and uh, first, it's that Purdue quarterback. I think his name is David Blau, uh, who played for Detroit. He actually invited pressure a fair amount. In fact, the, the Detroit scheme in general invited a ton of pressure that year uh, because they they liked to throw the ball really deep, regardless of kind of who was back there, whether or not it was Matthew Stafford or um, David Blau or uh, the Florida transfer to Louisiana Tech, Jeff Driscoll. Um, mm-hmm. They they love to throw the ball deep and they love to kind of take their time doing it. And so that in, they invited pressure. Russell Wilson, obviously he's on like this Hall of Fame pace. He's a really fantastic quarterback. But one of his things is that he holds onto the ball and he invites pressure. And I'm not using sacks. I'm using pressures to kind of right. um, take a look at this. And and even in situations where he probably should have been able to – Aaron Rodgers, he invites pressure too. Even in situations where, uh, you know, you're going up against teams that, that – take on pressure, whether by design or, or by a flaw in the quarterback or whatever, you know, he wasn't able to produce that pressure. Uh, and so, uh, and, and then you take a look at, well, maybe it's the number of, of passes that they play, but he didn't get a single run stop. Right. So it's not even it, you know, because of a pass run balance, you know, he couldn't get a tackle uh, with uh, near the line of scrimmage in the run game. Uh, and so I, I really think a lot of that's on Everson Griffin, especially because, that Seattle game, I thought the defense actually played really, really well. They had what, three takeaways or something like that. The problem is Seattle had four or so takeaways, and so there was a defensive score from Seattle. Uh, there were uh, like three or four short field scores from Seattle. So the defense, I thought, played well, and it's it's not really fair to, to ascribe them the 35 or 37 uh, points that they ended up giving up in that game. So sure. uh, I, I don't really think a lot of that has to do with – the Vikings. I think a lot of it has to do with, with Everson Griffin and just kind of falling off because of age or that whatever is, reason. Um, I have no idea what the real reason is, but I assume it's age. No. And, and you mentioned uh, your, your more recent tweets. Uh, somebody did ask you kind of, Hey, you know, get me hyped or whatever. What's going on here? And you were just like, well, I, I think he's just old, you know, <laughs> and that, that's, that's a reality. Um, you mentioned Everson's off the field, um, 
you know, history um, for anyone who's unaware, uh, because a lot of people, as you know, kind of tend to have tunnel vision on their team. Can you kind of walk us through uh, the SparkNotes version of what he has dealt with since entering the NFL? Yeah, well, it's going to have to be a SparkNotes version. Otherwise, we're going to be here for a while. Uh, and, and this isn't to bag on him. I actually think he's one of the more inspiring stories that we have uh, in the NFL. Um, but, you know, one of the reasons that he was a fourth-round draft pick instead of a second-round draft pick uh, coming out was because of a number of concerns about his maturity. And, and here's how big those concerns were. After he left USC, Pete Carroll, who was the USC coach at the time, banned him from the campus. They didn't want him to influence uh, the other players that they had, which if you're familiar with uh, that era of USC football. Um, Aaron Smith there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tyron Smith. There you go. Um, who uh, was, was probably one of the most mature players that that era sure. of uh, program produced, but uh, you know, they were not shy in terms of allowing their players to kind of celebrate. And so the fact that Everson Griffin was banned from that campus, or at least from the football program, I should say, um, you know, I, I think says a lot about kind of what people thought about his maturity level, because he had a ton of production. He demolished the combine he had a really remarkable combine uh, and he fell to the fourth round uh and and a lot of that is just because uh he had these off the field concerns uh and uh the concerns were so bad that at one point um he was arrested twice in three days uh and uh, actually got tased um on on one of those arrests and it's probably a credit to his sheer talent level as well as um, kind of the Vikings' approach at the time, which they had Leslie Fraser as the coach, that they didn't decide to cut him or anything like that, which um, w- was really good for Everson because uh, after, after his mother died and he got married, he actually turned it around. And he became uh, a really remarkably uh, mature person, a leader in the locker room. And you, you take a look at kind of how he acts and how he interacts. He didn't change his personality. He's still a super fun, funny guy. He's a great quote. I think the people in Dallas are going to love him. Um, but the way he kind of manages decision-making, I think, was significantly more mature. And so if if the story ended there, that would have been just really great. I think it would have been a really great way to kind of cap, you know, the arc of Everson Griffin. But that's just not how humans work. And it turns out Mm -hmm. he actually had a lot of underlying mental health concerns uh, that were so severe that there were times, apparently, when he would have to leave his house with his wife and check into a hotel um, so that he wouldn't be a danger to anyone, uh, which is, is obviously very concerning. Uh, and, and one of these episodes apparently got so bad, I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want to make it about the spectacle of the thing, but it got so bad that eventually EMT uh, services were called and um, there were concerns about, about violence, which didn't occur, by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, he ended up uh, escaping the EMTs and uh, it, it became such a problem that, uh, you know, the Vikings decided that, you know, he wouldn't be allowed back into the facility until, until he sought help. And the Vikings were more than willing to provide assistance to that kind of help. But this occurred at about week four of the season um, in, in 2018. That was the Buffalo game. Uh, and and I, I think that played a pretty big role in how the Vikings played against Buffalo. It was 
not the a Josh great game. Allen game. Yeah, it was the Josh Allen game. And, and <laughs> while I think that Josh Allen has the capability to hurdle Anthony Barr, regardless of whether or not <laughs> Barr is, uh, is distracted. Um, and, you know, it doesn't help that Riley Reef was playing through an entry and, and Jerry Hughes got like 800 pressures in that game. Um, I think a lot of the defensive performance, a lot of that was probably impacted by the fact that they just didn't have one of their more vocal leaders there. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he missed the, the, the bulk of the rest of the season. He came back later uh, against the Lions, had something like eight pressures, and, and, and it looked like he had things back on track. But it was a pretty big concern that um, mental health became kind of front and center for the Vikings and how they approached it. I thought they did a pretty good job. But, um, you know, the way that uh, these kind of concerns uh, from a mental health perspective materialized ended up becoming kind of a, a big issue when it comes to discussing, you know, Everson Griffin and whether or not, you know, he'd be available and productive for 2019, which, you know, thankfully, you know, is both of those things. Uh, and I, I suspect it, it, it played somewhat of a role. I don't want to you know, speculate as to how much, but I, I suspect it played somewhat of a role uh, in, in kind of the limited market that he had and, and whether or not the fact that Clowney didn't sign, whether or not his right. age was a concern, you know, who knows how much each of these elements, you know, played a part, but I, I think that team certainly had questions about that. And then the fact that he dropped off at the end of the season and for a large chunk of the off season, teams weren't holding physicals, you know, that, that all, you know, kind of comes together. So that was kind of another issue. And I think that, no team would want to sign him without him having a plan for how he's going to approach whether or not, you know, another, another episode uh, occurs or whether or not another mental health crisis occurs. And so teams need to be equipped to be able to kind of respond to that kind of crisis, which again, Dallas is, is actually one of the best teams in the league in, in being able to respond to, uh, to off-field issues for their players. Uh, I think a lot of people use that as a dig and, and maybe it is, but uh, at the same time, it's, it's really an asset to the organization too. Uh, and so having that, but then Everson Griffin has to have a mental health plan too. And I imagine, that that was a big part of 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 his offseason negotiations with um, with non Vikings teams. So uh, that I think is all kind of part of of the Everson Griffin story, as it were. No, I think that that makes sense, and I, I think when you combine um, you know his late season drop off with his age, to your point, with um, the stigma associated with his past, with the worldwide pandemic, um, it certainly is understandable why he would be available a little bit longer than most. Especially to your point, you know, I think I think people see like a Clownia and Everson maybe both available and say they can play against one another, but that can often work, um, you know, to either's demerit. Uh, I, I think it's also interesting that the two teams he was rumored to be in most connection with. Uh, being Seattle and Dallas, we know, uh, ironically, Pete Carroll uh, here, a lot of irony here, uh, is one of the more progressive NFL head coaches. And what we are learning about Mike McCarthy is that he is seemingly of that variety. He has spoken at great length about how interested he is um, in helping Alden Smith return to the NFL and the work he's done with Jay Glazer. And, and these are different things, but um, and one thing isn't emblematic of everything. But um, to your point, I think the Cowboys certainly are well-equipped uh, and uh, – you know, are, are in a position where this makes sense. Um, I'm curious. I have two more for you, Arif, and really appreciate your time, especially late at night. Uh, do you think the presence of George Edwards on the Cowboys defensive staff played a role here, given his familiarity with Everson Griffin in Minnesota? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think only only teams that 
uh, had, I mean, like you said, only teams that were at ever at any point familiar with Everson Griffin were interested in him. And I think uh, having kind of that security of having someone know who he is as a person and not have to rely on media reports or, or their friends in the industry, which I'm sure a lot of vetting occurred through people calling their coaching contacts and, and seeing what happens. That's different, right? Like if you call Mike Zimmer and say, hey, tell me about Everson Griffin. Uh, if you're a friend, he'll probably tell you. Otherwise, he'll probably tell you to F off. But um, if you're a friend, you know, he'll probably tell you something and you trust Mike Zimmer because that's the kind of person he is. And, and that's one level of security but if you can talk to the person who's going to coach him and say, well, what do you think about this guy? And he tells you that's way different because not only can you have a, a longer, more extended conversation with the guy that's literally in your building, um, but you can constantly have that level of check-in. So I think that people who are already familiar with Everson Griffin, I think it's not an accident that those are the two teams that uh, were, were interested in him outside from the Vikings. And of course, the two teams that were in the running, Everson Griffin also probably wants at, at this stage in his career um, to be in an environment that he's comfortable with, which is why I think Minnesota was probably in the lead uh, in, terms mm-hmm. of, in terms of being able to land him. So yeah, I, I think it all kind of just plays together for sure. That's very interesting. Um, okay, Arif, you obviously cover the Vikings to a great degree, uh, but you also do an incredible job of touching on the whole league. And I'm just curious, uh, as an objective person here, what what are your thoughts on what the Cowboys have done? Because uh, I do think you are certainly somebody that dabbles in the world of analytics, uh, the buzziest word of buzzwords. And um, the Cowboys have kind of become Twitter's team. In, in I know there's the the R Ravens movement, but um, <laughs> there is there is some love for Dallas um, online. And I think you share some sentiments. I would imagine with with other people and other work that's been done. And I'm curious how the Everson Griffin move kind of you know either reshapes or adds to your thought process on that. What what are your opinions on the 2020 Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, well, I think they made the best move in the draft when in the seventh round they picked uh, Ben DiNucci at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I've got a thing where I hate NDSU and he's a James Madison quarterback and, and, uh, and anybody who beats NDSU is a, a strong player in my book. But uh, uh, no, aside from that, um, I, think, uh, I, I think that, you know, obviously Dak Prescott, if you're an analytically minded, is, is a really high-level quarterback. Uh, and if you're not, you know, you've got, you've got some questions about how much oh, each element of, of Dallas not, you to contribute not to that. To, not to cut you off, Arif, but you're in a safe place here because you are anti-Carson Wentz, if, if my, uh, oh, yeah, know, no, he's my eyes deceive yeah. me not. Yeah, he's a tight end. Uh, <laughs> I think actually Dallas could use him, you know, at tight end. Yeah, Blake Jarwin can ride the bench another year and we yeah. can get Carson Wentz in here, totally. Um, but yeah, which really, speaking of tight ends, there's three former Vikings on the uh, on the Dallas roster at tight end. Uh, Blake Bell, Cole Hikatini, and, and Charlie, however you pronounce his last name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I thought they played the draft really well. I thought, you know, grabbing CeeDee Lamb and, and fielding kind of probably the best uh, front three in the NFL uh, or, or three wide in the NFL is, is really great. Um, I thought uh, actually undrafted free agent, uh, the fullback um, that they got uh, is one of the most athletic fullbacks aside from Tennessee's fullback uh, that mm-hmm. I've seen since like Marcel Reese. So uh, I, yeah, Siwo, uh, Olonilua, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to say, but it, it, it is a chore. Yeah, I, I, it takes a little bit of practice, but um, I, 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 I just kind of I kind of like these random elements. But if you take a look at first round, I thought C.D. Lamb, great. Second round, Trayvon Diggs, really fantastic pick. Third round, uh, Neville Gallimore. The Vikings actually were going to pick him if Dallas didn't. So um, 
presumably. I mean, that's the that's the the strong sourced rumor that isn't confirmed. Um, but you know, he's a he's a really exciting um, three technique, especially in um, I think the Dallas system. Uh, I think grabbing players like Gerald McCoy, Dantari Poe, uh, really great. And I think having Everson Griffin, in addition to Marcus Lawrence and Alden Smith and and uh, if Bradley and a has kind of an athleticism to take advantage of his, um, you know, technical skills, you know, having that rotation is really good. And I think that's why Everson is such a great fit um, in, in Dallas, because if age is an issue, um, then having him on a snap count with all of these other really high value veterans, um, I think can really kind of maximize what he does. And then of course, Randall Carter, another James Madison alum, uh, he's obviously <laughs> going to make the roster and outshine all of them. Of course. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, D- Dallas has, um, like you said, it's Twitter's team. Uh, it's also Madden's team. Maybe it's not a mistake that, that one of the Madden ratings adjusters is a Dallas Cowboys fan, but um, their, their total talent level is just extraordinarily high. Uh, and so from a Madden ratings perspective, it's actually pretty difficult to beat Dallas. And then you take a look at kind of why that would be the case and, and you go through their roster and I think it's really easy to like this team. Um I, I really wish that they uh, had kept um, – God, who's that corner that jumped like 14 feet in the broad jump? God, I forgot his Byron name. Byron Jones. Byron Jones. Uh, man, I love him. But <laughs> other than that, um, just really, I think, uh, a really well-constructed team. Uh, you know, having someone like Haha Clinton-Dix at safety, having, uh, you know, the that linebacker core that they have – it's really difficult to find an area where you can say that that's probably a weakness aside from tight end, which you can obviously just scheme around. Uh, and, uh, and, and Dallas, I think is really set up for a run and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, next year they can grab Carson Wentz and solve their tight end problem. No, I agree. And I think, um, I think a lot of people look at the tight end problem as, you know, as, as a plus in that it, it inhibits their ability to abandon 11 personnel. You know what I mean? Right, you know, and, this so, uh, and so it's almost like, look, let's, uh, there was thought, I forget who was recently on the market. Um, and it, I mean, and now uh, I don't, I forget the guy uh, from Hard Knocks, the Chargers tight end that is all, all the rage. Everybody loves him. Oh yeah, because, that's right. Because yeah. he hates, he hates getting cut. But um, every, the thought <laughs> like is. Like all the other players who embrace yeah, it. Yeah. The, the thought is do not sign any tight ends ever just you know just stay in a, because, <laughs> just, I mean, just it, let it be yeah, yeah exactly it's it's hard enough to get you know like tony pollard on the field or whatever and so um th- those those are interesting thoughts and um i think a lot of cowboys fans are certainly appreciative well, of uh let of me add on to that real quick i know this is just a super quick thing but one of the things i found out when i was writing up pieces about the vikings is that uh, nearly every team, regardless of the talent level they have a tight end or wide receiver, is more efficient, even after you account for like down and distance and game situation, in 11 personnel than they are in 12 personnel. Uh, and that includes the, the Vikings who had a seventh round pick starting for them at wide receiver after Adam Thielen went down. Uh, and he was competing for, for snaps with like a 5-8 UDFA who can't catch. Like that's like, the, that was the level of receiver that they had and they were still more efficient in 11 personnel than they were in two tight end where they've got Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph. And, uh, you know, the Eagles are actually are the same way. They had a quarterback at wide receiver in Greg Ward. Uh, they have two really just phenomenally good tight ends. Uh, and they were still more efficient in 11 personnel than they were in 12 personnel, except in goal line scenarios. And uh, yeah, I, I think that if you can manipulate your coach into not putting two tight ends out there, by just not signing any, 
Uh, I think you're probably doing a good job as a general manager, as much as it pains me to say Jerry Jones has been good at being a general manager for the past like five years, um, ever since Steven inter- interfered and, and prevented him from drafting Johnny Manziel. Uh, he's been just a really good general manager. <laughs> I think that, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good way just to prevent your coach from, from shooting themselves in the foot. And also, I mean, it's not like Mike McCarthy knows how to use tight ends anyway. <laughs> right no yeah uh, i remember when the cowboys first hired him jermichael finley was making the rounds and i was like i don't know that you're the guy that <laughs> uh, <laughs> that needs to be but uh but i in and now kind of realizing this i was listening to um to the pff forecast recently and and chris consworth was just kind of lauding the cowboys and you know obviously dak prescott is kind of now twitter's quarterback in some way um and he is kind of emblematic of this 11 personnel idea because he had this incredible remarkable season last year with zero help from the tight end in the passing game and zero help from Ezekiel Elliott in the passing game. So, so Dak sort of, you know, um, is like the poster boy for 11 personnel utilizing the three best receivers you could possibly have, which he incidentally has. Ironically, this was in a season where the Cowboys just paid a running back $90 million and brought Jason Witten out of right. retirement, you know, so um, <laughs> some really conflicting ideas going on there. But, uh, but now Jason Witten is a Raider and life is weird. And Everson Griffin is a Cowboy, um, a reef. You do such a great job covering the NFL. Uh, always with a lot of flair, uh, always with a lot of style. Like I said, follow a reef on Twitter at a reef Hassan NFL for all things Vikings and uh, the occasional NFL nugget. Uh, I know you also dabble in the political world. It feels like everybody, does these days uh the wide <laughs> left enough. podcast uh anything else you want to add maybe something you've you've streamed over the last few months that you would recommend uh oh wow okay um yeah uh well first of all, I'll, I'll just uh i'll plug uh the norse code podcast which is uh, of course. vikings uh, a vikings related podcast I'll also plug uh my favorite sleeper on the dallas roster which is cedric wilson uh saw him at the <laughs> senior bowl boise state can't get enough of him i wish he could he, see the field he has a hive um so oh, wait really you know, actually there Fantastic. is this, i mean but well to be fair this is the time of year you know where there's, it there's is true. those guys it's true. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah but but there is a there's the cedric wilson hive and the devin smith hive hate one another uh but there there's room for both um because <laughs> after after the cowboys you know the, devin three, smith the the former jets and ohio state receiver right yeah, I, you might remember he had a great game uh, on the road in Washington last year, early on. I think it was week two. And then, you know, at, at that moment, it was, oh, Steven did it I, again. And I was I was, a, I was a Devin Smith stan when the Jets drafted him, and I've, I've given up on him. I think I'm a Cedric Wilson guy now. Yeah, <laughs> and Cedric Wilson got away from number 16 and is now in the slimmer 11. So, I mean, I'm oh, far yeah. more on board now uh, yeah. than I was. But but I'm glad to know that he's your pet cat, so to speak. But any, any other plugs? Uh, what, <laughs> yeah. what else you got? Uh, yeah, I, well, I haven't been um, streaming a ton. I've, I've, been, uh, I've been reading a bunch of um, random novels and stuff. So let's see. I, uh, if someone wants, it's uh, really not that great, honestly, but I, it's just consumable <laughs> and it's taken up all my time, uh, which means I, I guess I like it. So it's kind of a guilty pleasure, but it, it's, a, it's a thriller series in the style of Tom Clancy without, this is where I'll get a little bit political, without being as baldly conservative as Tom Clancy just is. Um, by the way, was like inches away from owning the Vikings, Tom Clancy. <laughs> you brought it back well done yeah uh, <laughs> it's just such a strange time but uh yeah it's 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 the joe ledger series by 
uh, Jonathan Mayberry, um, who actually, I think he's a centrist Democrat, which is a very weird um, political ideology. It doesn't appear that much in the books, honestly, but it's just a weird political ideology for someone to write special ops thrillers. Um, but his first book is Patient Zero. It's a zombie book. Uh, I, I just went right through them. Uh, it's not that great, but I can't get enough of it. So I have to recommend it. Uh, and then it, for a series, I actually recommend if you're into if you're into young adult uh, dystopic fiction, uh, like The Hunger Games. <laughs> Who isn't? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Who isn't? Um, the Legend series by Marie Liu. Uh, actually pretty good. Unlike the Joe Ledger series, which I just, I, I've, I've given the author money, so I can't really, you know, bag it too much. But uh, yeah, I just went through it. And if you like zombie books, it, it reads really fast and it reads um, super easy. So Dude, I'm, I went through like eight books in a month. It's it's pretty fast. Wow. Okay. Well, I haven't read a non-sports related book in a while. I'm right now. I'm combing through uh, Football Outsiders Almanac. But after I'm done, uh, you know, maybe I'll give this a whirl. Um, who knows? But at that point, maybe it'll be football season. Maybe it won't. Uh, as you mentioned, we do live in um, in some precarious times. Um, Arif, thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for the information, for the suggestions. Um, and see everybody else. You know, they they just want to give us TV to watch. But you're you're broadening our horizons. Uh, you're enlightening our minds. And for that, we are eternally <laughs> grateful. Uh, I know you've been dying to watch Big Brother since we started the conversation. So, um, we'll, of course, we'll yeah, I'll both. be sure to get around to it. <laughs> Arif, <laughs> thanks so much. Uh, have a great week and uh, we'll catch up soon enough. Yeah, you too, man. Want to give a huge, big time, gigantic, galactic shout out to Arif for taking the time to join us. I hit him up super late on Wednesday night. It was about 9.30 p.m. Central Time when I messaged him. He was kind enough to jump on and really, I thought, educate us all on who Everson Griffin is as a football player, who he has been as a person, kind of the history of Everson Griffin, because there is a lot. It's it's likely that somebody told you, hey, I heard this, I heard that, etc. Well, now you heard the truth. You know exactly who Everson Griffin is, and there is a lot of reason to be excited about him. I think Arif's point about, you know, Everson being on a snap count of sorts is really, 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 really important because we now know the Cowboys have somebody, they, it, they're, they're like a, a baseball team with, with a great, you know, bullpen. That's who the Cowboys are when it comes to that right defensive end spot. We know and expect Marcus Lawrence to be the guy, to be the war daddy, as we talked about on the left side. Now the Cowboys have rotational options on the opposite side. That is a big deal. We've talked about many times how we need the Cowboys need, I should say, Leighton Vanderish to kind of really not elevate his game, but play it at a at a sustained rate, a sustained legitimate rate, because without him doing that, the Cowboys defense is kind of up a creek and the Cowboys are buying themselves more room for error by getting more talented players in place. Good for them. So yeah, hope you enjoyed our uh, our emergency episode. It got my juices flowing. It had been a while since we did one of these uh, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. So this was our second episode, uh, second episode of the Ocho that is for Thursday, the third day. The first one, we recapped everything we heard in Wednesday's State of the Union Cowboys address. Uh, all the comments from Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, Mike McCarthy, and Dak Prescott went over them. If you want to go back earlier in your podcast feed, you certainly can. Later on today, on Thursday, you'll get a brand new episode of Broadcasting the Boys with Ari Temkin and Roy White. Remember that if you subscribe to the Blog and the Boys podcast feed, we are available on all major podcast platforms. Just search for Blog and the Boys, subscribe. If you can, give us a rating, write a review. If you subscribe, you get two, sometimes in the case of the third day here, you get three episodes every single day. When something happens in the world of the Dallas Cowboys, like signing Everson Griffin, we jump on, we ride 
about it. We tweet about it. We talk about it. We pot about it because all of us here, we love the Dallas Cowboys and we want to enjoy all of this together. We are so grateful for you and for you choosing us to be part of your Dallas Cowboys experience. So uh, subscribe to the pot. It's gonna, we're going to have a fun season together. I truly believe that. Uh, at least we're going to try like hell. Uh, and so, um, so yeah. So, uh, hey, Everson Griffin, it really happened. I mean, big time props to the Cowboys. And it's it's been a long time and this sentiment is starting to be shared by a lot of people. Um, it, it's been a long time since the Cowboys, um, since the optimism surrounding the Cowboys has made sense and has been justifiable because in many years before this, it has been kind of not empty optimism, but it's kind of like, um, kind of like when you eat a piece of celery, like you eat something, but it just really isn't anything it really doesn't have any taste, but it is something by definition. Uh, but this is, this is a big juicy steak. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, let's get pumped. Hey, uh, you do me a favor. All right. You just do me a huge favor. Give a big time shout out to Arif Hassan on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL for taking the time to join us and do me another favor. Have the absolute best Thursday of all time. You know why? Because you deserve it. We will see you manana, my friends. As always, go Cowboys and peace out.